You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. God's word reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So reads the word of the living God. I read a story once of a young believer who after an Easter service approached her pastor and said, so what happened to Jesus after the resurrection? To which the pastor responded, well, he ascended into heaven and he's still alive today. And she's bewildered with joy and says, wait, I know he resurrected, but he's really alive now? And the pastor laughed and said, yes, he is alive. And we say amen to that. I love this story because though in some sense it can be silly, it considers us, it pushes us to consider Christ, the living and ascended Lord, the exalted one right now. Christians of old asked the question, what benefit do we receive from Christ's ascension into heaven? To which they answered first, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Jesus as the head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Thirdly, that he sends us his spirit as a guarantee by whose power we seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God and not things on the earth. A pastor and professor of mine said the ascension should daily encourage us because it proclaims Christ's return. It foreshadows our exaltation. It gives us gospel purpose now informs our worship and beautifully reminds us, or at least should remind us, of the present intercession of Jesus. We rightly focus and proclaim and celebrate Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. But we must consider Jesus ascended. We rightly focus on the fact that we are co-heirs with Christ. We have redemption because He's our Redeemer. We have salvation because he's our savior. We have justification. We are right with God and righteous before God because Jesus is our righteousness. But it is beneficial to consider what is he doing now as the ascended and exalted Lord at the right hand of the Father. And in some sense, that's a loaded question because Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. He is infinite sovereign, all-powerful. He has all authority over heaven and earth. He's building his church. He's saving sinners. The list could go on. But the Bible is clear and especially emphasizes that one thing Jesus is doing right now is interceding for us, interceding for his people as our great high priest. In other words, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, praying for all those sealed with his Spirit, 
for Christians, for you and me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We must rest and worship Christ for all that the gospel tells us Jesus accomplished in the past. But we must also find comfort and confidence for what he's doing in the present. Specifically, his interceding for us, moment by moment, presenting afresh all of his saving work on our behalf. It's been written that Jesus' intercession is similar to a parent interceding to a teacher on behalf of their child, or a sports agent speaking to a team on behalf of their client. But Jesus' intercession as our high priest, along with our all-sufficient mediator and advocate, is far greater than that. Jesus is not appealing to our goodness, our religious resume, our good days or bad days. When he intercedes for us, he appeals on the basis of his righteous life his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, his saving work. And God the Father gladly agrees. The truth of the ongoing intercession of Christ should in no way make you skeptical, or in no way does it suggest that the Father is aloof or reluctant to embrace us. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our triune God is one God with one divine will, and they will the same thing. One theologian said, Christ as the God-man asked the Father only for what the Father desires to give him. When Christ prays to the Father for us, the Father will grant him what he asks, for it is only what he himself desires anyway. John Owen said it's distinct applications of the same divine will in the intercession of Jesus to the Father on our behalf. We have no reason to be suspicious of God our Father. He is a loving Father who in His love sent His Son to be our Savior and High Priest and who has given us the Spirit as a seal. And it's the intercession of Christ that shows us the love and grace of God. So, what is Jesus doing now? Hebrews 7.25 beautifully answers that question along with answering for us what Jesus is willing and able to do. To put it plainly, Hebrews 7.25 calls Christians to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This text calls us to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This one verse will answer for us two questions. What is Jesus willing and able to do? And what is Jesus doing now? And we'll answer those questions uh, with our outline. First being, Jesus saves completely. Look with me to the first portion of Hebrews 7.25. The scripture reads again, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. This word consequently is loaded here. The author of Hebrews is really coming to a conclusion with this portion of the text. He told us in verse 19 that in Christ we have a better hope than what was present in the old covenant. We have a better hope through which we draw near to God. Since Jesus is a high priest by the oath of the Father, which means we not only have a better hope, but Jesus gives us a better covenant in the new covenant. 
specifically in the fact that Jesus won't die like the other high priests, like the Levitical high priest. He gives no animal sacrifices because he gave the sacrifice of himself. The author has been laboring in Hebrews to show simply that Jesus is better. In chapter 1, he says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he sits because his saving work is complete. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron and all Levitical high priests. Jesus is the better and final high priest. He represents us as he, he, he represents us before God as our mediator. He has provided the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and now he intercedes for us. Jesus helps us and represents us, having been made like us. And Hebrews chapter 4 tells us he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses as a merciful and faithful high priest. And he doesn't need rescue because he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. Jesus doesn't need rescue. He only provides it. So when the author says, consequently, all of those glorious truths are behind what he's saying here. He's saying, consequently, as a result, for this reason, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And I want to draw your attention to that word in verse 25, able. It tells us Jesus is right now and continually always and unceasingly able to save. And if you allow me a sentence of bad grammar, I'll double down with a double negative. Jesus is never not able to save sinners. And this is good news, that Jesus is able to save. He's the only one capable to save us. He is the only one suitable and sufficient and the only one qualified to save us. You cannot save yourself. No matter how much your grandmother or mother prays for you, she can't do it. No pope can do it. No saints can do it. Christ alone. Only Jesus is truly God and truly man. Jesus is able to save, but this text also implies that he's willing to save us to the uttermost. He is willing and able. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Every other religion is a religion of human achievement. You must do something to get to God. Keep this law, do these works, refrain from these actions. Only Christ, the God-man, came to do it all, to pay it all. Christ alone can save, and he's willing and able to do so. When I was four or five years old, uh, me and my family lived in an apartment in Ontario, California, not too far from here. And my little sister has always been the more risky one of the two of us. And we were going to the pool in our apartment complex, and in our childhood eagerness, we were running to the pool in front of our moms with our cousins. My little sister at this point, one, maybe two years old, the gate to the pool was already open as we were running there in front of our moms. 
And I knew, regardless of the gate being open, I wasn't getting in the pool until my mom came because I needed my floaties. My sister Perry, once again, the more risky, fearless, adventure, thrill seeker of the two of us, at one to two years old, just jumped in the pool. And I was terrified. I can still envision it right now. It's my little sister drowning, fighting as a baby to try to stay above water in this pool. And I was really standing there paralyzed because I wanted, I was willing to help my sister, but I was altogether unable because I couldn't swim. I was willing, but I wasn't able. But in a few seconds, and I'll never forget this, there was a woman who jumped in the pool and saved my sister. She seen the need and she was willing and able to save her and it was even to her own detriment. She had just had surgery in her stomach. But in an infinitely greater way, Jesus, he seen our need and was willing and able to come to save and rescue us. In Luke chapter five, verses 12 through 13, there was a man who had leprosy. And the text says, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus was willing and able to save and to cleanse a man with leprosy. And he's willing and able to save, to rescue, cleanse you. Jesus does not change. He is right now, as he was then, willing and able to save sinners. This is why we celebrate. This is why he came. One author said this, we need to know that Christ is both willing and able to help us and meet all our needs. We may well ask, what will Christ not do for us? He who emptied and humbled himself, who came down from the infinite heights of his glory to take our human nature into union with his divine nature, will he not meet all our needs and answer according to his wisdom all of our prayers for help? Will he not do all that is necessary for us to be eternally saved? Will he not be a sanctuary for us? Christ is indeed most willing and able to help us and save us. Saints, the statement is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he came not for the righteous, but for sinners. He is willing and able to save. It's our sin that qualifies us for his forgiveness, for his kindness, for his grace, and for his mercy. But notice, verse 25, it doesn't stop at the word save. It says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. It's a unique phrase, full of meaning. Commentators have said, to the uttermost denotes comprehensiveness, completeness, and exhaustive wholeness, and with reference to time, forever to the end. So Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost, he went and goes as far to save us as we need saving. That's what to the uttermost means. 
Jesus is a greater savior than we are sinners, and he can accomplish all that we need. That's what to the uttermost means. We are needy people, but we have a sufficient savior for our need who saves completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. I had the privilege of playing college football at San Diego State, and football players, uh, by and large, are always given full-ride scholarships, which I'm sure you know means that school is 100% completely and totally for the whole time paid for, a scholarship to the uttermost, if you will. Other sports, they only make so much money, just depending on where they're at, what they have, they can often only give partial scholarships. So the school will pay for some, some, but the athletes have to work and figure out paying for the rest. It's a partial scholarship, so it's not to the uttermost. But saints, Jesus is a to the uttermost savior. We could say Jesus is a full scholarship savior. And the text doesn't say Jesus is able to save for the most part. And then you have to work. You have to feel guilty enough. You have to be righteous enough. You have to go to purgatory to somehow burn it off as if the cross wasn't sufficient. The text doesn't say you have to clear the rest. No, it says Jesus saves to the uttermost, completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is good news, saints, because I am and you are sinners to the uttermost. We are to the uttermost sinners, completely, totally, by nature and choice, fallen. We need Christ exactly as this text proclaims him, willing and able to save to the uttermost. And what this means, friends, is that Jesus will not run out of gas on you as Savior. He will not leave us stranded. Jesus won't flip the script on you. He won't pull the rug on you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he said in John 6, 37 rings true today. All who come to me, I will never cast out. One author said, to the uttermost means God's forgiveness, redemption, and restoration reaches down to the darkest crevices of our souls. The places where we are most ashamed and defeated, Jesus knows us to the uttermost and saves us to the uttermost. It is amazing that Christ, a glorious Savior, Savior knows us truly and yet loves us truly. He knows us fully and yet loves us truly. And if you are here today and you have received and rested in Christ, be encouraged by this text. He is our undefeated Redeemer. He is our unfailing representative, an unblemished substitute, an unmatched mediator. He leaves no sin unforgiven. He is the Savior willing and able to save to the uttermost. And we'll also see he is the unceasing intercessor. As the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. The lovely Lord, filled with grace and truth, overflowing with grace and love. But this, but this portion of verse 25 isn't even finished. The text says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. A lot of people in the world draw near to God or to a God. 
But this text says plainly, along with the whole of Scripture, that you'll only reach God safely through Christ His Son. And this speaks to the exclusivity of the gospel. In other words, Jesus is the only way to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus beautifully and famously said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10.9, Jesus says, I am the door. And if you're going to enter into eternal life, into the kingdom of God, it is only through Christ. Acts 4.12, the apostle says, there is one name under heaven by, by which men can be saved, the name Christ Jesus. And in Matthew 7, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is Christ himself to get into the kingdom. And I was just speaking with 40 high schoolers at Village on Thursday in our lunchtime Bible study. And we were talking about Matthew 7, that it is a narrow gate into the kingdom through Christ alone. And I encourage them and I encourage you that when speaking of the exclusivity of Christ, that Jesus is the only way, or if you are struggling with the fact that Jesus is the only way, if you're mad that the gate is narrow, hear me loud and clear. Don't be mad that the gate is narrow. Be grateful that it's open because we don't deserve a way at all. Jesus as Savior is the greatest gift of God's grace, his free, unearned, undeserved kindness that he has extended to us in the gospel. Jesus saves all those who draw near to God through him. And in view of this truth, I want to encourage you towards application with my favorite commandments in Scripture. Hebrews 3.1 and Hebrews 12.3 both simply command, consider Jesus. We think of so many things. Our phones, our iPhones, weekly betray how often we gaze at our phone. But consider Jesus. Behold Him with the eyes of your heart by faith. Consider Jesus. Meditate on Him in all of His glory. Think about Jesus, the fact that He is our high priest, a representative who's provided a perfect sacrifice for us. Consider Jesus, that he's not cold towards you. He's not distant. He's our representative. He's our Savior. In looking to Christ, we find confident assurance. And as you behold Jesus in all of his glory, as you give yourself to Scripture and prayer and all these things, as you behold and commune with Christ, it's then, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that the Holy Spirit will transform you to be conformed unto his image. Saints, don't rest in yourself and your resume and your good days or bad days. Every day is a day of God's grace. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Rest in the glorious person and work of Jesus and know that your assurance of salvation begins with assurance of your Savior. Before your assurance of salvation is, I have done this, that, it's Jesus has lived on my behalf. Jesus has died for me. Jesus has rose again and he ascended and lives for me even now. Know in your soul from this text that Jesus will hold us fast. Know from this text that Jesus, our Savior, is enough. You don't have to be. Christ is. And refrain from shortchanging Jesus' sufficiency, his enoughness, by holding on to guilt as if his blood doesn't wash it all away. Refrain from being paralyzed by past sin. Look past your past to the cross where Christ bore it all. 
refrain from subtly thinking you need to do something to somehow add to your salvation. Christ saves to the uttermost. Behold and cling to Jesus as your all in all, all you have and all we need. And some of you in this room, perhaps, I need to invite you to come to Jesus. Hear this text that he is willing and able to save. If you are an unbeliever here and you want to draw near to God, that's only through Christ, my friend. The good news of the gospel is that you can know God through his Son. That is the gift that he has given. God has created you, made you in his image for his glory. You indeed have intrinsic dignity and value. But because of the fall, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God in his kindness has revealed himself to us, not only in creation, but in his word, particularly his holiness and his law. And if you are to get to God on your own, you would have to keep his law, just loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as you love yourself perfectly, precisely, personally, exactly, and entirely. That's what you would have to do. But God's law has been given not only to reveal his glory and his holiness, but to be a mirror for our sinfulness, but a tutor to show you your need for Christ. Christ who came, Christ who lived and fulfilled the law and the prophets, who came with miracles affirming who he is, fulfilling prophecy. Christ who came and laid down his life, showing the greatest love in dying for all those who would trust in him, being pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, rising again, vindicating himself as the Son of God and Savior. It's that Jesus, you heard it, Matthew 11, who says to you, come. Come if you are weary and burdened by your guilt, by your shame, by your sin before a holy God, and you will find rest. In Christ, there is forgiveness, there is salvation, there is redemption, because he is that sacrifice you need. He is that redeemer. He is that savior, and he has redeeming love. You are not too far. He has grace for you. You don't deserve it, but he freely gives it. He has mercy for you. Come to Christ today. There's no reason to walk out of here and not know the Lord Jesus Christ, to not receive and rest in him. Come to the Lord Jesus. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, daily go back to him. Lean on him. Boast in him. We never graduate from the gospel. We don't move on from the gospel. We move on in the gospel, rejoicing in the finished work of Jesus. We remember that Hebrews 7.25 is calling us to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely. But we'll see now that he prays constantly for his own. We'll answer that question, what is Jesus doing now? Look with me to the second portion of verse 25. It says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This word intercession was used of someone bringing appeals to a king. And, and the Jewish Christians who originally received this letter would have understood that the priest in the Mosaic law prayed to God on behalf of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the intercession of Jesus is so much better and presented here is one of the primary reasons that he saves to the uttermost. As our great high priest, 
as our representative in the presence of God, Jesus speaks on our behalf, and he's presently praying for us on the basis of his righteous life, his cross, his death, and resurrection. In the most holy place of heaven, Christian, you don't represent yourself like a criminal without a lawyer. Jesus, our great high priest, fills that position for us because Christ is so for us, overflowing with his grace. And notice the text says in verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. Always includes this present moment, your worst moment. It means at all times, continually and constantly, Christ our head never ceases to intercede for his body and bride. The church that Jesus promised to build, nourish, and cherish is always prayed for. So Christian, in your most fruitful times, the intercession of Christ. In your worst times, the intercession of Christ. In those heartbreaking sins, in the relational strife, in the temptation, in, in, in the despair, in the doubt, the shame, the panic attacks, the sleeplessness, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, to pray and intercede for his people. This is what he is doing right now for all those who have come to him for eternal life. Jesus is not only for us back then, he's for us right now. His love is eternal. His care is consistent. Years ago, there was a lot of rage in a book Five love, the Five Love Languages, uh, aimed at teaching you how you love and how you give and receive love. It was words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, quality time. This is not an endorsement, but those are all fine things, perhaps. And I just want to spiritualize the Five Love Languages for a moment and tell you that I personally never feel more loved than when I know or hear someone praying for me, someone praying to the God Almighty for me, because I know how deeply I need it. But it is unspeakably comforting to know that the Son of God, Jesus, right now is praying for me, knowing all my flaws, faults, and failures, but in his redeeming, transforming love is my high priest, he's praying for us. This is what he's doing right now for us. The Jesus we worship, trust, and celebrate is the Jesus who always lives to intercede for us. And a major reason for this is that we need it. We wouldn't persevere without it. And this doesn't diminish the need for us to persevere and to endure in the faith. That's the main exhortation of Hebrews, but it reminds us of that dynamic of Psalm 63, verse 8, David says, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Romans 8, 34 and 35 also speaks to the intercession of Christ. The text says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, present tense, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These verses connect Jesus' inseparable love, not only to his sacrificial death and his resurrection, but to his present intercession. 
Jesus' inseparable love is actively and presently expressed through his intercessory prayers on our behalf. His love and his prayers are greater than your doubts, your fears, and they should give you hope amidst the slowness of your sanctification, of your growth in the faith and and to become more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But we know that he also loves us presently right now, and, he, and he's praying for us. And once again, these prayers are based upon the finished work of Christ, not our goodness or consistency. One pastor said, whenever we sin, Jesus says to the Father, put that on my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. The preeminent subject of our preaching, being Christ and Him crucified, is the preeminent basis of Jesus' intercession on our behalf. Jesus always preached and pointed to Himself in His earthly ministry, and He does the same in His heavenly ministry as our High Priest. One theologian said, John, uh, Jesus turns the Father's eyes to Jesus turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. He so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession, he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. This is why we can draw near to a throne of grace. This is why our sins are consistently, always, and totally and forever separated from us as far as east is from the west. We have such assurance and security in Christ. But also let this show you, Christian, how seriously Christ takes our sin. He died for it. He resurrected, defeating it. And he intercedes for us in the face of it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that his grace and his intercession can abound? No. The goodness of Jesus, our high priest, his present ongoing intercession ought to embolden us and compel us to repentance and from this assurance enable us to continue to fight our sin to not hold on to it but to run to our savior to not take it lightly because jesus doesn't yet we don't have to despair in the face of sin and suffering because our sin will not have the last word over us jesus does and no one knows this better than peter on the night of Jesus' arrest before his crucifixion judas pretty much had the worst night in the history of humanity. But Peter's night was pretty bad too. He boasted of being faithful to Jesus, of being willing to die for him, and then he denied him three times. But then Judas went off and perished. And Peter still loved Jesus, repented, and fruitfully, faithfully followed him, and eventually was martyred for him because he went on for decades preaching the gospel. What's the difference between Judas and Peter there? It's not that Peter pulled himself up by his bootstraps and got himself together. It was the Lord's grace, and it was the same intercessory prayers we've been talking about today. In Luke chapter uh, 22, verses 31 through 34, before Jesus' arrest, he said this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter. So even when Peter failed greatly, his faith didn't fail permanently. 
And likewise, when we who draw near to God through Christ fail, our faith will not fail because the founder and finisher of our faith will not let that happen. He prays for us, and there's no prayers like the prayers of Jesus. Jesus is praying for you, Christian. And even though you sometimes fail, ultimately Jesus will not allow you to fail away from him. He'll never fail you, and he'll never cease praying for you. This is how Jesus prays specifically for his church. We will finish the race. We will fight the good fight because our Savior is praying for us. He's interceding for us. That's what he's doing right now. So in your seat, I encourage you to treasure the intercession of Jesus. Follow Jesus, not as one who is on probation and God's just waiting and watching to see if you mess up to put you back in jail. Follow Jesus as one who has been redeemed and as one whom your high priest is always interceding for you. 1 Peter 5 says that Satan's an adversary. He accuses us. But know that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And let the intercession of Christ encourage you to pray for others, to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And may the intercession of Christ encourage you to not walk in fear, but to persevere in faith. Robert Murray McShay said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. So run with endurance, confident to the end, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. We have a Savior to the uttermost who always lives to intercede for us. And we get a glimpse of Jesus' prayers in John 17, his prayer to the Father before he was arrested and then crucified. And his last request in verse 24 is this. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prayed on his final night that we would be with him. He will ensure that prayer comes to fruition. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the glory of Christ our Savior, a Savior to the uttermost. I thank you for his intercession, that we are so consistently cared for, that we are all together and always on his heart. I thank you for a faithful Savior like Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your saints would be encouraged to walk with endurance, to run looking to him, and I pray for anyone who may not know Christ, that they would repent and believe tonight, that they'd receive and rest in this Savior to the uttermost, who will never turn them away. Thank you for your word. May it fall on good soil in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. 